It is so good to be with Grace Community Church. It's not time to stop worship. We have words, uh, words from a living God that tell us about him, that draw us close to him. And so we worship through his word this morning. Everybody turn to Deuteronomy chapter 9. So as we've been coming through the book of Deuteronomy together, we find ourselves at Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 1. We're going to see if we can make it all the way to chapter 10, verse 11. And because we have a longer passage, we're going to take it in sections, read a section, and then we'll dig into it, and then read another section, and we'll continue to do that. So let's start with Deuteronomy chapter 9. Let's read together verses 1 through 6. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you've heard it said, Who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you so you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you so much for your word. Help us to see you, the glory, the glory of Christ, Lord. Help us to see you and the glory of Christ in, in these scriptures, God. We need your help. God, we need you to give us ears to hear to humble our hearts before your word. Please help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you notice, verse 1 said, today. It said, today. What we're seeing here is Moses is telling them, you're about to take the land, and then he's going to exhort them, don't be self-righteous over that. And in verse 1 he says, today. So they're on the verge of crossing over the Jordan, 
and into the land of Canaan. Now, when they do that, if you think about it, that would be a pretty scary thing. Now, we know that from reading Numbers 13 and 14, that when they, 40 years prior, were about to do that, the people were scared to death. Why? Giants and fortified cities and armies. The Anakim are there. People that are mightier than you. So this is a scary thought that you would that we, we're about to go in to possess, take possession of the land. This is scary business. And so how will Moses deal right here as he's preaching? Moses is preaching in chapter 9 here. What's he going to do to deal with their fear? And what he doesn't do, he doesn't minimize the enemy. He doesn't say, oh, they're nothing, they're no big deal. That's not what he does at all. If, if you look at it right there in verse 1 and 2, he actually tells them, you're going to possess a land of a people, they're mightier than you. They're stronger than you are. They've got bigger armies and more power. So, he, so he, doesn't, he doesn't deal with their fear by minimizing the enemy, but rather he exalts God. And you see that right there in verse 3. Know therefore, that, that, know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. How does he deal with their fear? He doesn't say, no big deal, these guys aren't strong at all. No, he says, God is stronger, God is glorious. Therefore, don't fear. Now, God is called here in verse 3 a consuming fire. And that's, all, that's almost always used as a reference to God's judgment, to God's justice, which is why right after that it says, a consuming fire he will destroy. Now, God has been so patient with the Canaanites. We read Genesis way back in Genesis 15 that there's this thought about the destruction of the Canaanites for their wickedness. But it says, but it says, but their sin was not yet complete. So God has been so patient with them. But now it's time. The judgment has come. And like a consuming fire, God will destroy these people and take their land from them. So God is going to bring down judgment and Israel is going to participate. That's what we read here. He will destroy, verse 3, God will destroy, He will destroy. And then what does it say right after that? You, Israel, shall drive them out. So God is going to judge them, and Israel is going to participate. God's going to use Israel to bring about the judgment of these wicked Canaanites. And in the process, He's going to bless Israel. According to his promise, he's going to bless Israel with their land. Now, what's the tendency of the human heart at that point? God's using us. They're being judged and we're being blessed and God's using us. And what's the tendency of the human heart at that very moment? Wow, we must be something special. We must really be something special. That's the tendency of the human heart. Pride and self-righteousness. And so what you see in verse 4 is God is going to preemptively correct that self-righteousness. Look at it. Do not say in your heart, Moses preaches, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, don't say this, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. He says, don't say that. Don't say that. 
Now, a consistent thing that we see in the book of Deuteronomy is this concern with self-talk. Maybe we could call it self-talk. Let me give you just a couple of the examples. Chapter 7, verse 17. If you say in your heart, the self-talk, if you say in your heart, the nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? And he deals with that self-talk. We see it again in chapter 8, verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Wealth, that's self-talk. And we see the same thing in our verse right here, chapter 9, verse 4. Do not say in your heart. So there's this concern. What you say about yourself, the way you think about yourself is very, very important. And what I'm not about to encourage you towards is you should think highly of yourself. You should have a lot of self-esteem. That's not what I'm about to encourage you toward. In fact, I want to warn us in this warning here is that what tends to seep into that self-talk is self-righteousness. And sometimes it's disguised as self-esteem, this self-righteousness, and it's so destructive. And God and, God and Moses right here really, really want the people of Israel to know this. They want them to know it really well. I mean, think about it. Look at, look at verse 4. Don't say that in your heart. It's because of my righteousness. And then, and then look at verse 5. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. That's twice. Look at verse 6. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. He really wants them to know this. God's going to bless you, and you're going to have a tendency to, to be full of pride and self-righteousness. No, it's, that's not the reason. That's not the reason. That's not the reason. He wants them to know it really well. Really, really well. So what are the reasons that they're going to take over this land? And in the passage we just read, we're given three reasons. Number one, because of God's justice. We see that in verse 4. It's not because of your righteousness. It's because of the wickedness of these people in the time of judgment, the time of justice has come for these people. Because of God's justice, we're giving you, I'm giving you this land. Number two, we see it in verse 5, because of God's faithfulness to his promise. He says, I'm giving you this land not because of your righteousness, but because of a promise I gave to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And because of I'm, I'm faithful, God is faithful to his promise. Therefore, you get this land. It's not your righteousness. And number three, he's given them this land only because of God's grace. I mean, think about how this ended. Verse six ended with, for you are a stubborn people. It's not because you're good. It's not because you're righteous. You're stubborn and God is gracious. And because of God's justice and God's faithfulness and God's grace, you're going to get this land. Not by your righteousness. Not by your righteousness. Not because of the purity of your own heart. He wants them to know it really well. So one thing that should be abundantly clear to these people after Moses preaches is we are not getting this land because of our righteousness or our goodness. The passage ended with, for you are a stubborn people. Now, Moses and his preaching can move on now, right? All right, move on, Moses. You let them know they're not getting it because of their righteousness. In fact, they're a stubborn people. You've already let them know, Moses. Just move on to another topic. 
No. Moses will not move on to another topic. Instead, what he does in verses 7 through 24, which we're about to read, is he begins to give them the evidence of their rebellion. He just lays out all these these, uh, examples of the evidence of their rebellion and their stubbornness. Why? So that they would know it so clearly, it's not because of your righteousness that you're entering into this land. So let's read it. Listen to Moses. He doesn't stop there. He gives them the evidence of their stubbornness. Let's read it together in verses 7 through 24. Hear God's word. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt... Until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water, and the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words that the Lord has spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise. Go down quickly from here, for your people, whom you have brought from Egypt, have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a metal image. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I've seen this people, and behold, it's a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot their name from under heaven. And I'll make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain. And the the mountain was burning with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before. Forty days and forty nights I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. And the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and I burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. At Tibera also, and at Massa, and at Kirbroth Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. 
And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea saying, go up and take possession of the land that I've given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe him or obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. So let's stop there. Remember what Moses is doing. You're going to get this land, and it's not because of your righteousness. It's not because of your righteousness. And he lays out this evidence of their rebellion and their stubbornness. And in verse 7 through 24, he gives them five different events. Now, he spends most of his time on one event at Horeb. But he gives them five different events that shows them the stubbornness of their heart. So that they'll never think they entered into the land because of their own righteousness. Now, that's the purpose of what Moses is doing here. And you can see that clearly by thinking about the bookends of what we just read. Look at verse 7 and look at verse 24. This is what he's trying to say to them. Verse 7 says, remember, he wants them to remember these five things. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. When? When? How, how, how often? How Uh, How long ago? Look, from the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you've been rebellious against the Lord. That's how he starts it. And look how he finishes it, verse 24. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. So how long have they been rebellious? Well, he starts and ends it with, from the day you came out of Egypt until right now, you have been rebellious. And he gives them these five situations that put their stubbornness on display. Now, I just want to mention them, and we'll come back and give more attention to the one that Moses gives more attention to. The five situations he mentions is, verse 8 says, at Horeb, at Mount Mount Sinai 40 years earlier. Okay, Most of the time is spent there. We'll come back to that. But two, look at verse 22. He says, at Tiberah. You could go read about that in Numbers 11. The people were complaining and God's anger was aroused. Go read about that in Numbers 11. Number three, he says, at Massa. That's also in verse 22. You can go read about that in Exodus 17. They tested God and God's anger was aroused. They were grumbling about water. If you remember that story. Number four, verse 22 says, at Kibroth Hatava. Now, again, you can go read about that in Numbers 11. They were given over to cravings, and God's anger was aroused. And number five, the last one, he mentions at Kadesh Barnea. You see that in verse 23. Now, you can go read about that in Numbers 13 and 14, but let's read again the summary here in verse 23. And, so he's again, he's saying, here's the fifth situation. And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, you remember that? saying, go up and take possession of the land that I have given you. Then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe him or obey his voice. You walked in disobedience and unbelief. And he's reminded them of five situations here. Now, again, don't forget the reason. So that they'll know when they enter this land, it's not because of their righteousness. It's not because of their righteousness. Now, as I said, most of the time is spent... On the rebellion at Horeb. Verse 8 says, at Horeb. Okay, now why is most of the time spent there by Moses? I believe 
that this was especially grievous to God, that whole situation at Mount Horeb. In fact, notice in verse 8, look at verse 8 again, it says, even at Horeb you provoke God to wrath. You've been, rebe- you've been rebellious from the day that I knew you. Then he says, verse 8, even at Horeb, even at Mount Sinai, you have been rebellious. Now think about where that takes you to. And he, and he explains the story. We just read it. He, he reviews the story of what happened. And I want us to remember it. He, he takes their attention back to Mount Sinai 40 years prior. And think about what's just happened. The people have just been wondrously amazingly rescued out of Egypt. What a glorious salvation. They saw the strength of God. They saw the power of God as they were delivered out of Egypt. And Moses is up on that mountain and he's receiving the tablets of the covenant. Calls it that twice in verses 8 through 11 here. He's, He's on that mountain receiving the tablets of the covenant and what are the people doing? They're at the bottom of the mountain breaking the covenant. You see that in verse 12. This is especially grievous. What? Like he's literally in the process of receiving the tablets of the covenant. You've just been rescued out of the house of slavery. And you're at the bottom of the mountain breaking the covenant already? An amazing example of rebellion and hard-heartedness. They had not even left the place where the covenant was made and they've already broken it. They just audibly heard the, verse, the, the voice of God boom out the commandment number one and commandment number two and they're already making an image and bowing down and worshiping it. Wow. And that's the emphasis in verse 16. Did you catch that word? Look at it. And I looked and behold... You had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourself a golden calf. And listen to this. You had turned aside how? You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. You turned aside quickly from the way that God commanded you. And so how does Moses respond? He reminds them of how he responded to that. Verse 17 tells us that he takes the tablets of the covenant in his hand and he throws them in the sight of the people and they shatter. They break in the, in the sight, right there in front of the people. The people see it. This representation of the he's entering into covenant with, with God here for these people and they're at the bottom of the mountain breaking the covenant. The covenant shattered and it's, and it's symbolizing the brokenness of these tablets. And then Moses prays, and then Moses absolutely destroys the golden calf. So Moses is reminding them of these things. He's telling them, you're going to enter the land, and and these people are really strong, but fear not, your God is glorious, he's like a consuming fire, and when you enter into this land, don't be self-righteous, don't think it's because of your righteousness, look at these examples. Of your stubbornness. You've been nothing but stubborn since the day that I knew you. Especially at Horeb. When you turned away so quickly. Now verse 25 through 29. What we see here is Moses as the mediator. The the intercessor. 
interceding on their behalf. Let's read chapter 9, verse 25 through 29. So I lay prostrate, prostrate, sorry. Let that settle. Hear God's word. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights. Because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord. Listen to his prayer, y'all. Listen, hear it. Oh, Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you've brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin. Lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them. And because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. For they are your people and your heritage whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm what we see in those verses we just read is Moses pleading with God on behalf of these rebellious people he's interceding he's mediating as we see here now we in, in the previous passage we read we already saw some glimpses of Moses being the mediator Think about what we just saw in the previous passage. So verse 8, we saw God's anger, right? Even in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. The Lord was so angry. He's reminding them of what happened at Mount Sinai. God was so angry. And in fact, in verse 12, Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought from Egypt. Does that sound strange to you? God's full of anger. And the way he's talking about the people is Moses, your people. Your people who you brought out. He's full of anger here. And look at, look, remember verse 18. Verse 18. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before, 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drink water. Why? Why is he laid out in prayer and intercession before God? Why? Look at it. Because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil. Look at verse 19. Why is he praying to God? Why is he interceding? For I was afraid of the anger and the hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you so that he was ready to destroy you. And you got to love this phrase. Here's the intercession. But the Lord listened to me that time also. The Lord listened to me. Hey, again, the mediator, verse, verse 20. And the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy Aaron. And I prayed for Aaron also at that time. So we're seeing these glimpses of God is angry because of sin, the hot displeasure of God. And, and, he, and, and the, the intercessor goes to God, and God listened to me. And God listened to me, and he's turning away the wrath of the Lord. And that's what we see in verse 25 we just read. He lay before the Lord 40 days, 40 nights. Why? Verse 25 says, because the Lord said he would destroy you. So God is, he's, he's, Moses, before God, why? As a mediator. As a mediator. God said he would destroy you, so I'm calling out to him on your behalf. 
Now, what we see in verse 26 through 29, we just read it, we get the words that Moses prayed. We get to hear the the intercession here. We get to see the words that stood between God's anger and God's mercy. As we read verse 26 through 29, and what exactly does Moses pray? How does Moses appeal to God in order to turn away God's wrath? How does Moses turn away his anger? And I would encourage you to to see this, that there's three categories that Moses brings before the Lord. Number one, your people. Number two, your promise. And number three, your name. That's what he brings to God. That's how he appeals to the Lord. Verse 26 and verse 29 is your people. Look at it. I prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord God, do not destroy your people. Remember verse 12? God said, your people, Moses. He says, no, they're your people. They're your heritage whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand, not me. You did that, God. Verse 29, for they are your people and your heritage whom you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. So that's what he brings to the Lord. Lord, do you mer- these are your people, God. Think about the way you rescued them. Think about the way you redeemed them, Lord. He, he brings that in prayer. Remember them, Lord. And then your promise, we see it in verse 27. Remember your servants. He's praying to God. God, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember the promise you made to them, Lord. And God, please, please disregard the the rebellion and the stubbornness of these people. Disregard that, God, and, and stand by your promise, Lord. That's the prayer. God, these are your people. Stand by your promise, God. And number three, he appeals to the name of the Lord. Again, continuing in verse 27. Lest the land, excuse me, verse 28, lest the land from which you brought us say, God, save them, don't destroy them. Why? Lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them, and because he hated them, he's brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. So what's his prayer? God, for your name's sake. God, for the glory of your name. Oh, God, remember your promise. Remember these are your people. And God, do this for your glory. Save them for for the glory of your name, lest the people say you weren't able to do it. And this is how the mediator appeals to God. Now, a quick side note here. As you think about your prayer life, These are good categories for you to take to the Lord in prayer. Appeal to God based on the dealings he has with his people. Think about his grace and his mercy and his goodness, his redemption, his his deliverance of us from sin, from the house of slavery. And go to God in worship and prayer. And just the way, if you think about Romans 8, 8, 39, He 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 didn't spare his own son. That's how he's dealt with us. He didn't spare his own son, it says in Romans 8. How much, how much more will he freely, freely give us all things? So go to him with that request. Also the promises of God. Go to him. Take up When you go to God in prayer, brothers and sisters, grab promises from his word and say, God, remember your promise. We're standing on your promise right here. Oh God, be faithful to your word. And let the glory of his name be always the ultimate end of all your prayers.
Let these categories affect your prayer life. So Moses is praying. Moses is interceding here. And then we get to chapter 10. And we see how God is going to graciously respond. Let's read chapter 10, verse 1 through 11. How he graciously responds. And at that time... The Lord said to me, I remember he still got them thinking about what happened at Horeb. When he broke those tablets and the people rebelled so quickly. He says, at that time the Lord said to me, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. And come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke. And you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood and cut two tablets of stone like the first and went up the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets in the same writing as before the Ten Commandments that the Lord has spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made. And there they are. As the Lord commanded me. Now he gives a little parenthesis here in verse 6 through 9. Look at it. The people of Israel journeyed from Beeroth, Benjakin to Moserah. There Aaron died and there he was buried. And his son Eleazar ministered as priest in his place. From there they journeyed to Godgoda. And from Godgoda to Jotbatha, a land with brooks of water. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord your God said to him. So he's reminding them of what happened. He's in this parenthesis here. He's saying God's been faithful to this, to this very day. And then he closes it like this, still reminding them what God did. I myself stayed on the mountain as at the first time, 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord listened to me that time also. The Lord was unwilling to destroy you, and the Lord said to me, Arise, go on your journey at the head of the people so that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Think about where we are. He's reminding them of what happened at Horeb so that they would never in a million years think, because of my righteousness, we got this land. And he reminds them of their rebellion so quickly they rebelled. And he reminds them of how he interceded. He went to God in prayer. And it says, at that time. So right here at that time, we see God's response to Moses' intercession. Now, what we don't read here is that God looks at Moses and says, No, I'm not going to pardon these people. Stop praying to me on their behalf. That's not what he says. Now, if that sounds far-fetched to you, you need to understand. Like, there's, there's times where stuff like that happens. In fact, I just read recently, 1 Samuel 28, verse 6, it says, Saul, remember Saul, King Saul? 
Saul inquired of the Lord, and the Lord did not answer him. Saul had gotten to this point in rebellion and this stiff neck and the hardening of his heart where he was beyond healing, and he's calling out, he's inquiring of the Lord, and all he hears is silence. Nothing. Moses is interceding here, and praise God, he doesn't get silence. He doesn't get the answer, no, but what do we see instead? We see God renews, graciously renews the covenant with them and continues to lead them into the promised land. Now again, verse 1 says, at that time. Look, look at it. Look at verse 1. At that time, the Lord said to me, listen to the renewal of this covenant. Cut for yourselves two tablets of stone like the first. Come up to me on the mountain, make an ark of wood. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. Now that's, that's glorious grace. I mean, think about what just happened here. God writes the covenant. He, he writes the Ten Commandments on these tablets. And while it's being written, the people are breaking it down at the bottom of the mountain. Moses literally breaks the, the tablets as a sign of a broken covenant. And what does God do? Rewrites it? What mercy is this? What mercy is this? To rewrite it? On new tablets? And all of that mercy is, is purposefully being presented to us as through the hands of a mediator. Look at verse 10. I myself, Moses says, stayed on the mountain as at the first time, 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord listened to me that time also, and the Lord was unwilling to destroy you. Now, that's amazing. It was, you sinned against God, and, and what did it say twice in our passage? He's ready to destroy you. Aaron sinned against God, and God's ready to destroy. It's, it's you sin, and God's ready to destroy. He's ready to pour out His wrath, His anger. And then what do we have here through a mediator? And I called out to the Lord, and the Lord listened to me. And God, it says here, was unwilling to destroy you unwilling to destroy you and finally verse 11 Moses is charged not just not just does he renew the covenant with them but he's going to continue to lead them through the mediator through Moses to the promised land verse 11 he, Moses is commanded to go lead these people the word there is go on your journey at the head of the people in verse 11 go to the head of the people go go Moses go lead from the front and that's exactly what Moses is doing here 40 years later in the book of Deuteronomy. Leading from the front, trying to lead these people to cross over into the promised land. Now again, what a gracious response of God to Moses the mediator. Not only will I not destroy these people, I'll write it again on tablets of stone. And I'll lead them into the promised land with Moses at their head. Question, a question here. How should we view this interaction between God and Moses? How should we view this interaction between God and Moses? Should we view it as 
mean God, nice Moses. God's mean. Man, good thing we got this nice Moses here. And I hope you know the answer to that is no. This is not gracious Moses changing the eternal plans of the ungracious God. All of this is intentional. All of it's meant to teach us a lesson, to teach us something. And the lesson is this. How can a wicked, rebellious, and stubborn people become God's people? And the answer is only through a mediator. Only through a mediator. Moses, the mediator here, is a shadow of Jesus the Christ, who is the true mediator. You don't have to flip there, but let me read this to you. Hebrews 3 says, Consider Jesus, who was faithful to him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Moses the mediator, shadow of the real mediator, of the true mediator, Christ Jesus the Lord. I want to read this to you, and it's about Moses and everything that happened with the golden calf. But I want you to ask yourself the question, how can you read this and not think of Jesus? This is Psalm 106, verse 19 through 23. And what we're getting in Psalm 106, verse 19 through 23, we're getting a recap of what happened when the people made the golden calf, rebelled against God, and Moses interceded. We're we're getting a recap there. Listen to this. They made a calf in Horeb. And worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. Wondrous works in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said he would destroy them. Which is what Moses is reminding them of as they're on the verge of entering the land. Moses is reminding them of that. Listen to this next phrase. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Now if I just read part of that verse. The chosen one stood in the breach between God and rebellious people, and he turned away God's wrath. Everybody in here thinks, man, he's talking about Jesus. And it's because Moses is a mere shadow of the true mediator. So the lessons from this passage is this. How can a rebellious people become God's people? We need a mediator greater than Moses. Just like Moses was dealing with sinful and rebellious people, Jesus deals with sinful and rebellious people because that's all he has to deal with. Because of the grace of God and the goodness of Jesus, his people will certainly make it into eternal life, into the eternal promised land. They will, but listen to me. Grace Community Church, 
Don't you dare ever pat yourself on the back and say something like this. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart. For you are stubborn people. We are a stubborn people. The prophet Isaiah said we're all like an unclean thing and all our righteous deeds. That means even on our best day, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. That's who we are. That's who Moses dealt with in Israel. It's who Christ deals with in us. Rebellious people who sin against God. And just as Moses came down from that mountain and crushed the sinful thing and grinded it into a, pow a powder and threw it into the brook, you know, Jesus does even better. I want you to listen to the shadow. Did you catch that? Deuteronomy 9, verse 21. Listen to the shadow. Then I took... Then I, Moses said, I took the sinful thing, the calf you had made, and I burned it with fire and I crushed it, grinding it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. He crushed the sinful thing and threw it into the brook. Jesus is better. God, came, God the Son came down from the mountain of perfect communion with the Father. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He destroyed sin by becoming sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He died for our sins. He absorbed our wrath. And listen to how Micah says it. Micah 7 verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. That's an awesome metaphor of Jesus stomping on our sins, treading it underfoot, crushing our sins, grinding them like powder, like Moses did the golden calf. And, and Micah goes on to say this, same verse. Micah says, you will cast all our sins into the depths of of the sea. Moses threw him in the brook. Jesus throws him in the depths of the sea. Something falls in the depths of the sea, it's no more. You're not going to find it anymore. It's gone. It's out of your sight. It's gone forever. You'll never get it back. He's going to throw our sins through the, through the blood of Christ, his death on the cross. Our sins are thrown into the depth of the sea. Or to say it another way, he removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. What a glorious mediator in Christ. He's better than Moses. And just as Moses ascended back up that mountain, to intercede for the people of God even better. Jesus crushed for our sins, but then risen from the dead, ascended back up that mountain to intercede for us. Hear God's word. Hebrews 9.24 says, Christ, Christ Jesus has entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. That's a glorious verse. Christ has entered into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God 
on our behalf. He comes with the sign of his blood, it says in Hebrews 9. The sign of his blood. That all of it's been, it's been finished. That the debt that we couldn't pay has been fully paid in the death of Jesus Christ. That he took our sin. All of it's been taken care of for these rebellious people. He intercedes with the sign of his own blood. And he comes with glorious intercession. Hebrews 20, uh, 7.25 says, He, Jesus, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. To the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus' prayers are more sure than Moses. Moses is just a shadow. And that verse says we can be saved to the very end. We can make it. We can be saved to the very end. Why? Because Jesus intercedes for us. He always lives to make intercession for us, it says. He came down from the mountain and crushed our sins. He ascends back up. And he's our great high priest who intercedes on our behalf. And therefore, we can be saved to the uttermost. Or in the language of the shadow, it is certain that the people of God will make it to the eternal promised land. Why? Because we have a great mediator. We have a great mediator. And just as Moses, in verse 11, chapter 10, verse 11, was commanded to lead from the front, to be the captain, to go out front, to lead from the front and take them into the promised land, so Jesus is the captain of our salvation. Now, this is another place where we see that Jesus is better than Moses. Moses would eventually, as we're reading here in Deuteronomy, have to stand on the borders of the promised land and not lead from the front anymore. He'd have to point a finger and say, go that way. Because of his own sin, he was banned from entering in as the, at the head of the people. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus, the sinless Savior, died for sinners, risen from the dead, ascended on high, and he does go before us, before us at our head, captain of our salvation. He will never, ever stand on the borders and say, go that way. He leads us from the front. In fact, he says this, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus enters into the eternal promised land. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he promises this. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. That's not go that way. That's come. I'm going to take you there. Grace Community Church, the response of our hearts should be to worship our great God and to worship our mediator, Jesus the Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you, God, for letting us have this sweet, sweet privilege, Lord, to meditate in it, to hear it. And God, I pray that you would, you would cause our hearts to worship you as the greatest of mediators. You're our Savior. You're our rescuer, Lord, and we love you. And I pray you'd fill our hearts more and more so, God, with love for Christ. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.